well, there's not much going on in football right now. So, pretend we're football for the next hour. I am your host, Will Bazer, and I'm joined alongside by Johnny Brashear and Timothy or Tim. Do you like Timothy? It doesn't matter to me. Either way is fine. Tim Preston, as always. You guys listen to the Hornscast channel, which you guys can find on any podcasting platform at all. You guys are also listening to us being brought in by the Budos Band. Their smooth tunes are super great, so go ahead and check them out. Today we're going to be talking about the anatomy of losing a 19-point lead. We're going to freak out, and then Johnny Brashear is going to tell us why we need to calm down. Then go into the final two games of the season, well, at least scheduled games, until we get to the ones that are to be rescheduled against Kansas and Texas Tech. Talk about those two games and what to expect out of Texas there. How'd y'all survive the snowstorms, Johnny? Uh, it, it was okay, all things considered. Our our power was going on for 30 minutes, off for 30 minutes, kind of over and over again for a couple days, which relative to what a lot of people had was not bad, so not going to complain too much. But yeah, we didn't watch TV at all for like three days, keep electronics low and, you know, turn the heater down, all that stuff, so... We we got it okay. Plus, I did get to watch the dog skid across ice, which was pretty great. Um, oh yeah, yeah. He after he poops, he hauls ass back to the back door because he's got the poop zoomies going on. He's got those endorphins rolling, <laughs> and he did that once coming back while it was snowed out and uh, nearly hit the wall. So every time after it was it was it was a much more uh, you know, ginger pace coming back to the back door. Yeah, I was lucky enough that I had power the entire time. Tim, did you have power? Uh, yeah, we hadn't. We didn't have any of those issues. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Anyways, uh, yeah, my dog's sworn purpose for the week was to destroy any smooth powder out there. That was her life for the past week. So that was fun to watch. But uh, yeah, Tim, how was y'all? Up, uh, up in Iowa. It is cold, man. It was really, really cold there for a while. Uh, like we had a, something like a like an eight day stretch where it never ever got above like negative three. My sister who lives up in Minneapolis kind of had a fun little saying with me last week. She's like, it was I think something negative forty two with the wind chill there in the Twin Cities, and she's like, it is seventy degrees warmer in my fridge. Uh, <laughs> which. <laughs> which uh, was a pretty interesting way to think about it. But yeah, it was, I mean, we obviously we're, we're thinking about everybody. Hopefully everyone that's listening to this is doing okay and that people are finding ways to kind of get their stuff back in order and they, whatever they issues they had. Hunt some squirrels for food yeah. and <laughs> you know. cook them in their cars. Yeah. yeah. Siphon, siphon gas off of various abandoned vehicles. Yes. Right. Everybody might be wondering, I thought I was listening to a basketball podcast and not a weather podcast, and I'll tell you why this is relevant, is because I think Shaka Smart might be the most unlucky coach to have ever done it. That guy has had the least amount of luck that I have seen a coach have at the University of Texas. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to give the guy a pass. Because a lot of the issues are his. But, Johnny, you brought it up a while ago. The phrase or the saying, you know, if, if a guy's 
you know, what was it about the the, the bird and the poop that and was, whatnot? Uh, how many times do you see a guy get shit on by birds before you just go, that guy's always going to get shit on by birds? That's just and you don't stand next to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Shaka smart. That's Shaka smart, man. It, it just seems like this was the year, right, for Shaka smart, where he had the five star guy who wasn't going to be the center of attention. And he loved to play for the university. You had all the guards, right, in a guard-focused game who were seniors who could shoot and were shooting lights out early on in the season. You had a senior forward. You had depth for days. You had good guys off the bench. It just seems like this was the year Shaka Smart can make at least make it to the number two in the Big 12, right? This was the year. This was the roster. And then what happened? A pandemic hit. Okay, that's that's tough, right? But Texas was seeming to do pretty well there until halfway through the season, everybody gets hit with pandemic. Well, okay, so then they have to restart, and you know, you're getting back into it. And then, all right, they're getting back into the flow of things. They're getting back into the flow of things. An anomalous snowstorm, the likes we haven't seen in 70 years, hits Texas. Now, that's on top of the years past where you had your star shooting guard get leukemia or you inherit a team that has all seniors or that even in your first year, your star center gets his ankle hurt and he, after having a start of the season that was looking to put you in a really good spot and then at the end of the season losing on a half-court shot to Northern I- Iowa? Yep. Yep. I, I mean, on top of that, you know, you have... Everything that's happened throughout his career at Texas, this guy is the most unlucky bastard I have ever seen. It is unbelievable. It is unbelievable. And then to top that off, you know, you ha- you feel bad for the guy, but to top that off, you see what happened against West Virginia, right? You you feel bad for the guy. You're like, okay, this is a good guy, and he's just having bad luck. But then you have a 19-point lead against West Virginia, the number 13 team in the nation. You're the number 12. And going in, you're three-quarters away through the second half. And you blow it. You absolutely piss away a 19-point lead because you have infighting in your team, and then you can't figure out how to play defense. I mean, is it just as simple as that? What is... what? Boil down everything I just said, Johnny, and tell me why it happened. <laughs> so, where to start? Well, it all started with Cameron Ridley. No, sorry. Um, so, um, in 2009. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tim's going to bring up the Arizona game. Uh, we're just going to go from there. So, where do we even start? Okay, uh, let's, let's start with the Courtney Ramey thing. Because I've seen a lot of people talk about it and sort of use it as a point where they just, you know, it is the lens with which they view the entire season and Shaka's tenure, whatever. So Courtney Ramey is a super intense guy. He always has been. He has been from the moment he has gotten onto campus. There have been several times when Shaka has talked about uh, he, he likes to say Courtney Ramey is 100% about winning, but that's his euphemism for that guy is way into this. He lets his emotions get the better of him sometimes. He's a little bit of a hothead, but it's not new, and it's not something the team is un- unused to. They're 
all with him. Like, this is not like some sort of team is cracking apart kind of thing, right? Like, Raimi's always been this way. They've always been okay with it. Sometimes things flare up between super competitive guys. And if you notice later in the game, uh, there was a point, uh, I want to say it was about six and a half minutes left in the game, where Greg Brown was getting frustrated because he was running baseline uh, for dunks, putbacks, whatever. And the idea was basically if West Virginia goes to trap a guard on like the free throw line extended or somewhere over there, Brown should be free. And so theoretically, the, the guard could hit him. And they weren't. They weren't getting it to him either because the trap was good or whatever. But Greg was getting frustrated. And you see Courtney, who was on the bench at the time when uh, it goes to TV timeout, Courtney pulls him aside and talks him down and, and like lifts him up, right? Like he's over there talking sense to the guy. If Ramey was checking out on this team or if he hated this team, he wouldn't be doing that. I'm not concerned about Courtney Ramey and Andrew Jones having a blow up because both those dudes are really competitive and sometimes wires get crossed. Um, He didn't freeze out Andrew when Andrew was open later in the game. You know, he wasn't denying him passes or anything like that. So I'm, I'm not, I feel like that's just one of those things that we saw on TV. So it's notable, but it's not a big deal to, at least to me, as for how they blew a 19 point lead. There's, there's a couple bits to that. One is that this is the fifth time this year that West Virginia has done that to somebody. Uh, they were down nine against Western Kentucky and went on an 18-2 run and won that game. They were down, what was it, 68-52 to, 68 to 52 against Oklahoma State, and they had an 18-3 run and a 10-0 run to win that game. They were... Down 64-52 to Tech with 13 minutes left. The rest of the game, they outscored them 36-23. They were down to Oklahoma 9. They went on a 13-2 run to force overtime. That's the only one of those five games that West Virginia lost. So it's not that uncommon for West Virginia to do this to people this year. Um, It sucks to watch it happen to Texas. Um, But I, I... I think it's worth noting that it's not like some sort of singular fuck up by Texas. Uh, this is something West Virginia, who is number 13 and probably will be 11 or 12 at the end of the, you know, in the next poll does to people. So there's that. As for the mechanics of it, we can talk about the zone office offense. We can talk about the defense. I, I don't know where you guys want to go first. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll touch a little bit defensively in, in uh, sure. I guess there's there's two things that really stick out to me from a defensive standpoint where and both of them aren't necessarily indicative of just this game. I think you have to start with the fouling and we we've, we've talked about this a number of times all year long. Big 12 refs are who they are, you know. I'm not going to sit here and gripe about officials. Um oh, Hold up. Big 12 refs? <laughs> they are. Aren't they aren't they I feel like Johnny has been throwing this out there. Yeah, on Twitter. I hear you. So, but right. So certainly, college, just say college refs. Yeah. How's that? Um, that being said, there are there are certain teams that the Big Twelve is much more likely to have, oh, like teams of refs that are much more likely to to ref their games than than some other ones. Anyways, regardless, sure. College college refs as they are refs, no matter what sport, no matter what you're talking about, whatever. Like, I just don't believe. I don't believe that they're refing two separate games. I don't believe that they're refing Texas a certain way and West Virginia a different way. 
So might the refs be crappy? Might they be occasionally inconsistent? Yeah, I suppose. But it's it's not a different game. And Texas has been flat out bad, just simply bad at dealing with refs that are call happy. This is the fifth time this season that Texas has let has let an opponent shoot 25 or more free throws. You know what their record is in those games? 0-5. And, and, and certainly whenever you get up 19, especially in the second half, one of the things that you just simply can't do is put your opponent on the free throw line a bunch because it stops the clock. It gives them an opportunity to get their defense set after, you know, after those looks. It slows the game down because you're probably going to be pulling the ball out of the net as opposed to kind of getting a rebound and going the other way. And Texas has just simply been bad. And and whether that's, you know, some of the comical nature where, where Royce Ham is flying all over the place and fouling nonstop, or whether it's, this is what, like three of the last four games that we've gotten a technical foul, seemingly kind of an innocuous shit. Um, and, and, and Royce was remarkably restrained in that respect. <laughs> and I'm a little disappointed, frankly. Yeah, I know. It's, it's tough to watch. As soon as I turned on the game, like I would turn on and turn off occasionally because i was like i can't watch this but when i would turn it on every time it just seemed like royce ham would would get a foul so every time royce ham fouled i'd, I'd turn the game on that's that's you fair. need to stop watching the games i think that's what we're getting <laughs> yeah no I, I agree so you know one of the things that we talk about a lot about having a about having a veteran team is that they've experienced that before like you matt coleman has played college basketball games with crappy refs and with inconsistent calls and with stuff that's frustrating. And, and so too has Andrew and Courtney and everybody on the team except for Greg, I suppose. But you've got to play through it. You have to find your way to just to, to not foul. And like what a perfect microcosm of, of Ramey in that last, you know, the last foul that he gets where he's in the, in the lane, falls for a fake, gets in the air, foul, boom, he's done. You know, and, and, and as much as Shaka wants to talk about how, yeah, the kid's 100% about winning or we know how, how too locked in he is during games and how much he wants to be in there during crunch time, that kind of stuff loses you ball games. If he's in there at the end of the game, does Texas win? I think they got a better chance than without him. Yep. And and he was their last two buckets. Yeah, and it's just it's just it's it's just simply a circumstance where you whether it's attention to detail whether it's some kind of question mark about whatever shaka or the staff's message is if it's maybe being interpreted in the wrong way or maybe like maybe the staff just really is comfortable fouling this much like that's that's the the cost benefit analysis that they you know that they want to get with with playing aggressively i don't i don't really know but it's it's at the point now where it's instead of like being like a oh that was a frustrating one off like one off thing it was okay well this is just kind of we're a team that fouls a shit done or at least potentially is can be coaxed into fouling a shit done so that was that was pretty rough I guess the other thing that you know and I don't mean to to jump on Johnny if he wants to chime in on that but the other thing that I I feel like is kind of not even subjective anymore is Greg and Kai and Andrew just are not particularly good individual defenders. Um, you know, and that Greg obviously makes up for a decent amount of that because of how good of a defensive rebounder he is. Um, and actually Andrew has been better as a defensive rebounder this season, but the three of them are just, they're just not very good right now. Um, and See, I'll disagree with that because I think Kai is a good defender around the perimeter, but when it comes to being a big man inside, 
No, I agree with you there. But surprisingly, around the perimeter, he's a decent defender. I well, um, I guess I feel no, like no. You disagree? You disagree with me, Johnny? <laughs> I just I'm watching Tim try to form specific words in response without being like. What the fuck, man? Seriously? <laughs> he, no, am I, I wrong? Am I wrong? Well, you're looking you know, at Kai in the wrong spot. Okay, here's what I'll say, and I'll, I'll let I'll let Tim jump in here in a second. My, what I would say about Kai is that his length allows him to make mistakes and still positively impact the defense. However, he is still making mistakes, um, and he's also as much as he has gained in strength he is not strong enough yet he's still you know i mean it's just it's time you got to you got to build strength over time right um because of that he gets caught slapping and reaching in, in situations where like jericho for example does not have to do that right and that's 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 re- where i see him having a lot of issues defensively will i think maybe to your point and and probably where where I would assume that you're going with that is we've seen him switch on to smaller guards in a similar way that Jericho does and hold his own, right? If he's in a if he's in a one on one situation against a smaller player who should have a quickness advantage, Kai has been able to to come across at least admirably in a lot of those situations. Would you agree? Is that kind of where you were thinking with that, Will? Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, is is when we hit the switch onto smaller guards or. You have a smaller guy on a big guy. Texas has actually been pretty good in that regard. Oh, there's no one better than Jericho. From that, I don't. There's not a. There's not a big man in the country that's better than Jericho. At that. I'm not saying he's the best, but he's been phenomenal with that all year long. In the same way that Mo was, in the same way that Jarrett was. I mean, they, it, it's they're terrific at that. And when Kai can get into that situation, that's not where he struggled. Where he struggled is he's late rotation wise. He doesn't really help um, like we'd need for him to around the rim. Uh, as as Johnny said, he's just he's pretty. I don't want to say lackluster as as that kind of second defender that that's helping with recoveries, but he just you know he's much more likely to 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 kind of initiate contact as the guy in the, in the lane or you know try to try to get his hands on the ball a little bit in, in ways that like the refs are going to call that and and good defend or good offensive players are going to are going to absorb that contact and and look for an and one so then you're getting him in foul trouble and we're putting him on the foul line and and it's so it's it's where we've needed him to be more conscientious away from the ball that Kai's struggles are really there particularly again when you also understand he's just he has not been a terrific rebounder he's been a fine rebounder but he's not been a terrific rebounder. And and as far as Greg and Andrew, I mean, Andrew just obviously, Andrew has never been a particularly lockdown defender. And, and you know, I think that probably some of the physical nature of, of where he is in his recovery um, has an impact with that. But he was, he was bad. He was flat bad yesterday in the second half <laughs> defensively, Andrew was. Yeah, I don't know if I would tie it to his recovery because he's always sort of like he he's always helped too far off yeah he's always gambled um he, you know the reason Ramey lit into him is because he let a 44 percent three-point shooter just drift over to the corner and he like just sort of lost him in traffic like just he just kind of stood in his, like he didn't 
Before that, he didn't call out the switch that Raimi called out to him. Uh, then he let the guy go through the paint and just drift off into the corner where he was wide open for a three that he was obviously going to hit. Um, and he does stuff like that sometimes. Like, that's just... He hasn't recovered thing. That's a that's a, a defensive IQ thing. It's a understanding who you need to be following. And like, I guarantee you, the the coaching staff told them, "Don't let McNeil get free because he is a forty four percent three point shooter. Like, you gotta stay on him." And and he didn't. So, yeah. I guess what I mean by that, real quickly, is. The person that was the absolute worst with that, the worst, was Javon Felix. He was so terrible off the ball as a defender. He was a good on-ball defender. Like, he was surprisingly nimble and agile and had long, strong arms when he was defending on the ball. But off the ball, he always had a foot in the paint, except for the homie was five foot nine and, and couldn't couldn't kind of recover and, and, and contest shots. And, and I think... We, when you see Andrew's body and you see his length and what we know that he's had from explosiveness in the past, you would maybe think that he would be able to kind of close out. And I think maybe in a year he could make some of those gambles and perhaps his body would be a little bit more right and he could still kind of get closer to contest some of that stuff. But it's not it's not there yet. It's almost like he's playing as if he's more athletic right now than he is. So I kind of want to go to a, a little bit more of a macro discussion here because – do, do we want to talk about the zone offense thing or no? Oh, go ahead, please. Please okay. talk about the zone offense because yeah. that's been a huge issue. So it, we'll put that on pause for a second. Oh, okay. So um, there have been a lot of people who have been talking about Texas just, you know, sees a zone and, and, and you know, becomes dumbfounded. Uh, or Shaka sees a zone and he, you know, he just takes his ball and goes home because he can't figure anything out. And... Um, I I think a lot of that, at least this season, started with the Oklahoma State game, where they were objectively terrible against the zone. Like there was they they weren't um they weren't trying to do wrinkles, they weren't trying to like they they just they they were terrible in that game. So that that one it was absolutely well founded. Um wh- what I would point out to people with the zone offense in this game is that there were some pretty obvious differences between this game and the in the Oklahoma State game. Um, for example, they were when they saw the zone, they were using less of the ghost screens. They were using actual pick and roll to create space. Um, and they were using that as a mechanism, as an action, to get Jericho deep post touches, in theory, like he was sealing off his man in the low post uh, in ways that you don't normally see him do. And they would get him the ball sometimes, and so West Virginia would try and either trap or stunt to kind of make him have indecision. Um, and so after that, you know, after they saw that a couple times, they started sending a guard into the paint. He would flash to the paint um, to try and be open when when Jericho was getting trapped. Um, and you know, like the thing I was talking about with Greg, where he was running the baseline so that they could hit him for a lob or you know, be an outlet when somebody tries to get trapped out of that zone, stuff like that. Like there were, there were things they were doing, right? It wasn't just, it wasn't like the Oklahoma state game where they just sort of passed the ball around the in around the perimeter and the defense didn't have to move. They put the defense into conflict a lot. Um, they didn't hit enough shots out of that, but they got open looks out of those. So I'm, I'm not concerned about the zone offense per se, because I saw 
Uh, I saw adjustments. I saw new tactics. I saw things that should work, and there were shots that should have fallen that did you know, should should go down that didn't. Um, so I, you know, I I guess I'm just like I I I've just watched a lot of people just shit on the zone offense thing for the past 24 hours, and it it wasn't to me it wasn't nearly as big a deal as like the defensive issues Tim was talking about. Well. I feel like those defensive issues have been there for the past boy. I don't know. When was the last time we beat a good team? West Virginia back, back when Andrew Jones hit that last shot, that last second shot it, Texas has not beaten a real contender since then. Now they've, I mean, actually they've had cracks at most of them. I mean, Texas tech, Oklahoma, Baylor, basically everyone other than Baylor. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Really? And it's just, I understand that they've not had practices like last week and also the COVID stuff, but man, it's just disheartening to see you go 0 for since West Virginia against these teams that you probably should at least be in contention with or or beating at least most of the time with this team's talent. Really? I mean, what has been... The issue here, besides, I mean, obviously not having the practice time, is that is that the only issue here? No, I don't think so. And and sir, I'm, just here's here's a this is a quick point of contention and something that I want to be careful about. And uh, they have been in contention with all those teams, <laughs> you know. So I, you know, it's it's one of those things that I it Johnny's gonna Johnny's gonna kind of. Uh, educate us all in a little bit here as far as let's being, not build it up too much it's not it's not that great johnny's going to somewhat unpoignantly pontificate on yeah, some ideas of why Johnny, there we go Johnny that's is yes. going to blow you out of the water it is going to be the most amazing speech and will turn around texas's season single-handed yeah that's okay, that's tim, more continue. accurate tim, wait tim what was your what was your description again unpoignantly pontificate yeah, no, that sound. Yeah, blow I, you out of the water. Can I? Can I rename my Substack unpointedly pontificate.substack.com? <laughs> because that feels pretty accurate. Have at it, my guy. Thank you. So, so um, it, I, I, I'm I'm not here to tell anybody that that the last month has been up to standard. It you know I'm not I'm not going to talk about that. Is because it has not been. Um, I do think that people need to at least contextualize the idea that we are nine points away from from a very different record. Now that doesn't change our record, but that that is a context that I think is an important one for us to understand. Now, so then the question would be like, if literally one basket, literally one basket changes almost all of these games, whether that's, you know, for the most part, probably a three-point basket, but if literally one single shot going in changes some of those games, then the question is, okay, so then why are we losing? What's going on here? Now, I think there's a number of things that, that Texas is going to have to kind of figure out. Obviously, we just talked about, talked about the defense. Certainly, there have been some games where the offensive execution has not been very good. But I think the number one thing that, that I want to consider with this and, and where, especially in the close games that we see other than, other than the fouling, which has been obviously not good too. I do think that there is a, there is a clear 
distinction between when Texas has been at their best, they played fast. And if you even look at that, you know, the, at Texas nailing those three pointers early in early in the second half yesterday or on uh, Saturday, all of those possessions were quick fire possessions, one or two passes, boom, they're open, and and we get a quick shot up. And it's not not really a surprise that when Texas has been really good, you think back to that Kansas game, it wasn't long drawn out possessions. It wasn't like, you know, a ton of like incredible execution. It was beat your man, create some space for, you know, for an, a, a pass out to the perimeter, hit a three. And we played fast and kind of played loose. But when Texas has had to play, has had to get, get into those grinded out situations, and obviously naturally whenever you're talking about that kind of uh, possession, it's not going to be super fast. When they've had to grind it out, that's when they've been at kind of at their worst. And the more that Ramey has the ball in his hands in long possessions, and especially the more that Andrew has the ball in his hands in long possessions, the worse we've been. And or, or you know, and you can put that to Kai or Greg as well. I mean, like I, I think all four of those guys have been have been somewhere between okay and really pretty bad. Or Sims, like when Sims had the ball and he was trying to find an outlet pass right. and threw it right to another guy. Now that's that's yeah. that's still quite rare. And actually, I've been pretty impressed with Sims's ability as a passer this year. Like he's come a long way. He's he's playing quite well. But regardless, I think I think we we've, we've seen a situation where the more that you put. Any of Kai, Greg, Andrew, or Courtney into those into those positions where they're like they have to either dribble penetrate or keep up their dribble against a pressuring defense or a collapsing defense or you know like multiple hands kind of get into their way. It just more often than not they've struggled, and and when we've when we've allowed that to happen, when you have a twenty five second possession or a twenty eight second possession as opposed to a twelve second possession, there's just naturally there's there's more of those opportunities inside that like there's there's more chances for defensive playmakers to kind of get their their hands on the basketball and and that's just happened over and over so how come we've struggled it's 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 not just because we're not making shots because you know they that's that's a struggle but West Virginia wasn't exactly making shots at the end of the game yesterday either you can you can sometimes absorb not making some shots what you can't absorb is not even getting shots up and it's been bad enough in a lot of those games. Um, and yesterday was another one of them where if it's not just that you're not executing, but like you can't even really like do the basic stuff that an offensive knee, offense needs, it's how do you bridge that gap into, into winning? And obviously that's why in the close games, they haven't been successful. At least that's one of the big reasons, I think. There were two made shots in the last six minutes and 20 seconds of that game, and they were both Texas. It was the Courtney Ramey threes. All the rest of the points were free throws by West Virginia. So, yeah, kind of sucks. Johnny, now tell me why everything Tim just said doesn't matter and why we should be not freaking out. Well, it's everything. Everything, Tim, we should just disregard right now. I mean, tell me why. Because Tim said it, frankly. Why should we hurt Tim's feelings? He's such a good guy. That's wait. Is it? Is that not the reason? I thought that was the reason. He is a good guy, <laughs> therefore yeah. he'll he'll take it. It's fine. Yeah, it's so. And I, I'm kind of building off of what Tim mentioned, where he said, you know, we're nine points away from a Texas having four fewer losses, basically, uh, which is true. It's worth noting that Texas has lost 
by 4, 2, 1, 14, 8 in overtime and 2. And those losses have come to come against teams that are currently in bracket matrix as a 2 seed, a 4 seed, a 3 seed, a 1 seed, a unanimous 1 seed, uh, a 7 seed, and a, and a 3 seed. So they lost basically to other tournament teams uh, on their level or better for the most part. Uh, Oklahoma State is the only one below them, you know, because right now Texas is sitting as like a a lower four seed uh, on the projections. Another thing is um, when this season was starting, and and Tim can can back me up on this, his projection, uh, which I feel like was probably kind of the, the middle of the road projection out of the three of us, was a 23 win season third to the fifth in the conference and um you know possibly like a or you know, like a sweet 16 ish type run uh, in the postseason well right now if they were playing a 31 game schedule they'd be on pace for 21 or 22 wins uh they are currently on pace for probably third or fourth in the conference um they are most likely going to end up being four seed, maybe five seed, maybe three seed. But I, you know, four is probably the fat part of the bell curve there. And if they play to their seed as a four seed, that's a sweet 16 run. So as much as the losses suck and you don't like to see losses, uh, this team was not going to go undefeated. We all expected them to take some losses in conference play. I, I don't think any of us picked them to win more than 11 games in conference starting the season maybe 12 tops. And obviously they're not going to do that because they're missing four games, but they're sitting at a point where they're, they're somewhere in that realm right now. So it's, it's been disappointing, but we're at a point where we were, we're sort of where we had thought they would be to start the season. But that's not the point. They, they show that they were better than that. They showed that they were capable of better than that. Yes. But again, over the course of a full season, you're going to take some losses uh, you're going to lose some conference games. And this team is playing sort of like a 3-4 seed would play over the course of a season. So I, I, I'm watching a lot of people, well, maybe not a lot of people, I'm watching some people, whatever small slice of the internet I see, talk about this like this is just like every other Shaka team when he's never had a team like this at Texas. I mean, he's clearly, this is this is his best team. And they have, in aggregate, played like their best team. They played like his best team. And they're on pace for something like a four seed, which if I had thrown that out at the beginning of the season as I can guarantee you they're going to be a four seed in the NCAA tournament, is there anybody who would not have taken that gladly, given where we have been the past three years? I, I, don't, I don't, I can't imagine a lot of people outside of maybe immediate family members of the team would have been like, you know, no, I don't want that. So you're telling me the best team that Shaka's had in his five years here, six years, the one that has the elite level number four, the senior center, the three probably his best guards, and some of the some of the best guards in the Big Twelve. You're telling me that's a four seed. Yeah. Because the Big 12 this year is a one seed that is head and shoulders above everybody else and like five teams who are all a three through five seed, probably. I don't really give a shit 
<laughs> I, I'm not. I don't. I don't mean that negatively towards towards either of you. Like, but here's what's going to matter. Would I like for Texas to be? What are they? They're thirteen and seven right now. Thirteen and six right now. I want to say thirteen six. Yeah. Would I prefer for them to be eighteen and two? Yeah, that'd be great. Or eighteen and one. Of course. Would I? Do I think that they're more talented than their season has has dictated? Yeah. A couple things that I think is really interesting. It's it's kind of shocking to me at how how much I think our fan base. A, you're just a fucking stupid. <laughs> uh, but I keep on seeing all hey, this stuff like, hey, we're stupid, but we're passionate. It's true. Stupid. But I, we are very, very confidently stupid. Okay, you're very people- passionate about basketball from about <laughs> February first to March fifteenth. But the, it's and we treat it, we treat it like football. Every loss. Yes is a disaster <laughs> but yes. it's so funny too like i'm seeing all this stuff about how well here comes shaka's crappy january and february again like here he goes where they've you know they set the table and then they just can't do anything like what shaka teams have been watching like they've been mediocre the entire time like it's not as if they've i run feel up. like that's more of just like a texas basketball <laughs> right, right which i was so you know and, and maybe not shaka but just texas basketball in general right. and i feel like they're just attributing it to shaka it's rick the, barnes I, ptsd but they forgot rick barnes exists and yes is currently doing <laughs> Exactly this at Tennessee. <laughs> Tennessee. Yeah, they are five hundred in the month of January and February right now. <laughs> and it's here's the thing. And what I don't come away from that loss. It was a throw the remote kind of loss for me, right? It was a it was my son Owen walking into the room right as I saw them losing, and I chucked the remote at the other side of the couch, and he kind of like looks at me and turns around and walks back out of the room. That was one of those kind of losses. It just doesn't matter. I mean, it it does matter because they need to win those games. It was a close, hard-fought game. West Virginia is a good team. Texas had two three-pointers that I thought were down. I really thought that – I mean, I thought the Greg Brown shot was down, and certainly I thought the Andrew Jones shot was going to was gonna fall. And they yeah, just that, don't bo- – Both that Andrew shot and the Jericho Sims tip-in were great plays that were executed well that just didn't go down. Yeah, and it's just like, okay, well, t- crap. What I would say to anybody is, for a team like this – and what makes this year so different than other years under Shaka, just wildly different than other years under Shaka, is we won't know the answer about this team, whether it was truly disappointing or not, for about four or five weeks. What's going to matter for this team is what happens in March. Because if you told me that they go to the Big 12 championship game, which is entirely possible, but they lose to Baylor, all right, fine, cool. That's that's a good result for them. And they make it to the Sweet 16 – then this year was not a disappointment. No matter what happened in some of these games, with the close losses to Tech and West Virginia and the overtime to Oklahoma State, like they sucked in the moment. It's not fun. But what what needs to happen for this year and why I think people need to kind of like, I don't want to say chill out, but certainly kind of have a, a larger, again, that, that context of what we're thinking about. With this team and this atmosphere, it really is going to matter what happens in March. What matchups do they get? How far do they get? If you tell me they lose in the first round of the tournament, then yeah, it was disappointing. But I don't think this loss to West Virginia necessarily impacts that a ton. And I guess I'm not totally convinced that you could, you know, that there's 25 teams in the country that are better than this Texas team and that that's going to bear itself out no matter what happens in the tournament. So where I would agree with Johnny for sure is, look, we're still going to be easily favored in the first game of the tournament. I think that there's a decent chance we'll be favored in the second game. 
And then you throw your hat in the ring. You hope you get the fourth number one seed as opposed to Gonzaga or Baylor and go from there, right? Or, you know, even if we're a five seed or whatever it is. But this is not one of those years where it's like, oh, well, if we don't, if we don't turn it on at the end, we're not going to make the tournament. We're going to make the tournament. That's not going to be an issue. Now what matters is, okay, is what we saw yesterday indicative of a Texas team that's trending the wrong way and can't get it done? If so, that's an interesting statement for a team that almost shot 60% from deep and like 75% from inside the arc for a half and had three or four good looks to win uh, against a really good team. So I just, I would not caution people away from being nervous about this program. I get it. Like they haven't been very good, but there's enough contextual pieces that are just simply different about this year. Just wait. <laughs> don't don't give up hope completely until that really terribly disappointing loss to five seed UCLA or some shit in the in the second round of the tournament. Yeah, and it is worth noting that as as frustrating as as games like that are, if I told you they lost eighty four eighty two to West Virginia in Austin without any other context, you'd be like, I could see that. That seems, you know, that's a reasonable result. All things, or, you know, that's a plausible result given how good West Virginia has been this year. And also we're not on the bubble. We're nowhere near the bubble. We will not be on the bubble. Like we really can't be on the bubble because there's only two games left in the regular season. So like, even if Texas blows both those games, then they're still not on the bubble. They might be like a seven seed or something, you know, depending on what they do in the big 12 tournament. And maybe they get some games rescheduled where they get to go play TCU and Iowa State again and and pad the stats a little bit or something. But like it's not it's just the sky is not falling. It's the the game yes the game on Saturday sucked, but it's a game in a season that's 20 plus games long. So it it's okay. You don't get penalized for losing to a top 13 team at home in the in basketball. You would have gotten a, a nice brownie point to help you out if you did win it, but you didn't. So it's more of a lost opportunity than a punishment. So let's go ahead and take a look forward here because there are two big resume games coming up for Texas. Kansas and Texas Tech. You have the possibility... I don't know if this has ever been done in Texas history of sweeping Kansas on the year. But yes, but only because they used to play them once a year. Okay. But in, I don't I don't think they ever swept them when they played twice in the regular season. So I'm sure not because the only other time we won in Lawrence was 2011 and we Yeah. And since then it's yeah, never happened so. Yeah, and Texas Tech, which is a game that you let slip away from you. And you have a chance to split the series. So you'd have a split between West Virginia, Texas Tech, and a sweep against Kansas if you win these next two games. How reasonable is that expectation? How likely? And if it does happen, how great? If they lose both, what's the issue? So I think a split is the most likely outcome. And honestly, I kind of feel like they're better suited to win the game against Tech than Kansas at this point, because Kansas has really started figuring some things out the last few games. Their pick-and-roll defense with David McCormick has gotten a lot better. Where it was abysmal, it is now passable, and that has helped all of their defense out. And so Kansas is able to do things a little more naturally. I mean, they've won five straight for a reason. They didn't just 
padded against a bunch of bad teams. I mean, there were a couple bad teams in there, but they did beat Oklahoma State. They did beat Tech. And, uh, you know, maybe <laughs> I might offer up that they could be looking ahead to the game against Baylor and, and maybe look past Texas a little bit. But given what Texas did to them in Lawrence, I'm pretty sure they're going to be perfectly focused on this game in Austin. So, you know, if I'm picking the the more likely game, it is sort of ironically the game at Tech, I think, that for Texas to win. 2-0 is possible because, you know, like I said earlier, we have five teams in the Big 12 who are all three through five seeds, which means they're all fairly evenly matched up in terms of in aggregate pluses and minuses. So, it's a 59% win probability against Kansas and 42 against Tech, so nobody's favored heavily in either of them. I don't think they'll go 0-2 out of those. It's possible, but I, I just, I, I don't. This team, to me, does not strike me as one that, that would let, like, West Virginia snowball. If anything, they will come out after, against Kansas and really try and do something. So... In terms of context of if they go two and O versus one and one or no one two, I don't think one and one really changes the math for them much. It gives them one good win on their ledger that they wouldn't otherwise have. So maybe it ends up being the thing that keeps them as a four seed instead of a five seed or something like that. If they go two and O, maybe that gets them in discussion as a, as a three seed, depending on what other teams do. But again, I you know I. It would be nice to see them win both those games because they're wins, but I don't know that it changes the sort of overall math for me of the trajectory of the season. Yeah, and I guess, uh, you know, I don't feel like I can say I don't give a shit about the last thing and then then say that again, but like Johnny said, I'm interested to see how this team kind of fares later on in a couple of weeks. That's that's what matters. But from that standpoint, I, I do think that actually... Texas is a really good matchup for Kansas or that that we're a bad matchup for Kansas from their standpoint. I just think that Jericho obviously is not going to have the same kind of issues that some other bigs have had with McCormick over the last couple of weeks. I think that Jericho was kind of uniquely set up to defend him pretty well. Uh, we're going to pressure Kansas with some of our pick and roll stuff uh, in a little bit different way than they have been. So, uh, And obviously, I think for Kansas, they really need Brown and Garrett to step up as, as Agbaji. Yeah, but I think Brown and Garrett are more so likely to be kind of more playmakers, whereas Agbaji is kind of more of like the straight-up shooter. Um, yeah. And I do think, again, I think that Texas is is in good shape defensively against both Brown and, and Garrett. So not that Agbaji is not their best scorer, he is, but I think that there's some matchup issues for Kansas that, that Texas has. And again, I think, you know, obviously... Texas is going to, you know, as much as I've, I'm sure Kansas is going to want to come out hot and, and, and get some revenge, Texas is for sure going to be looking for that same thing. And and so I, I feel good about that. Obviously, I also kind of, uh, I th- I don't think you can understate how much if it, if Shannon isn't right for Texas Tech, that that really hurts them because he's a big part of what they do defensively. Um, and he's, he's kind of been a thorn in Texas' side, hitting some big shots against Texas the last couple of years. And so that's another part about about text game that will be interesting and and obviously they're gonna be really scrambling to kind of save their season uh when texas rolls in there but but i think that you know if you're underhanded or undermanned what are you going to kind of do so yeah i'm not saying i think two and oh is likely but i actually i think that that two and oh is more likely than the no and two um even though obviously we know that both teams are good and i don't say that just because hey texas is is prime for a turnaround i just i actually think the matchups suggest that Texas could be in better shape because Kansas has been so dependent on McCormick and he's been terrific, but 
I just don't know how. I mean, if you watch that game against against Texas and in, in Lawrence, I mean, McCormick just looked like I mean they were benching him, like he was so bad there. But it's hard for me to kind of think like you know that oh well he's going to completely turn it around in that in that time. I just think that that was indicative of of what Jericho was able to do. Now Jericho needs to stay on the floor, <laughs> so it's not as if Jericho hasn't had his own issues with foul trouble. But uh, I think Jericho's been playing smart, and and hopefully we'll have another chance to kind of bear that out. So well. I, is that all we got? I mean, no more sweeping statements we want to make? Uh, my my sweeping statement is to not make sweeping statements. Cool, cool, cool. Well, then uh, I guess we can get into pretend you're getting to know us. How y'all feel about that one? Let's go ahead and do it. So this week we are doing, everybody follow along, we are playing... What fictional character is amazing in their book slash show slash movie, but would be absolutely insufferable if you had to deal with them in mundane, everyday situations? Who would like to go first? Anybody feeling it? I mean, I could go. I I have several. So if you guys want to go first and I'll I'll pick up the remainder. Yeah, it's it's Yoda for me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) He's uh, obviously, look, I, I don't know that you know, that anyone would be surprised to hear me say that Star Wars is an incredibly seminal part of my life. Uh, and just like the, the, the entrance point into my fantasy excitement, you know, since I was a very, very small child. Uh, and obviously Yoda being kind of a badass is kind of, uh, an objective truth, but I also think he's sort of an insufferable douchebag. And, uh, why? Why is that? Why is he? Not, can you kind of give me some examples of him being an insufferable, an, an insufferable douchebag? He's always meditating on shit, and he's like he's sort of a dick, uh, and doesn't like. He kind of comes across as if he's an empath, but also doesn't seem to ever like do anything with that other than like you're wrong or you're an idiot you are or rushing too fast you are. Like if you are such a if you're so smart, then help them understand. Don't just chastise them. Anyway, that is. I just he's on his feel bullshit like this all the is time. a this is a teacher thing coming in like yeah yeah <laughs> I just I don't I don't like the way that he I, I he's for a guy who's seen it all and done it all he uh, he's pretty dismissive and uh, I think he'd be one of those guys who'd be like oh like uh, yeah there he goes again kind of being the asshole he is yeah we get it you're unstoppable yeah okay but uh, yeah. Yoda. Uh, second, well, the other, if if I could give a quick little uh, uh, secondary shout out, it, who's the Water Tribe boy in Avatar? Will Sokka. Yeah, he'd be he's right up there too. Very annoying. Why is that? I like Sokka. I don't know. He just needs to chill out. Like he's he's not talented. Doesn't really kind of bring anything other than like occasional. He's also like thirteen relief. or fourteen years old. Yeah, I don't need that bullshit. In my Wait, life. Yeah, which makes him insufferable <laughs> by default. <laughs> so a nine hundred year old person and a thirteen year old guy. No, yeah. thank you. Okay, okay. I'll go before you, Johnny, so that you can you can kind of rattle off your guys. Mine would either be Ace Ventura. Oh because, yeah, because because I love Ace Ventura. The movies are great. The movies are fantastic. Jim Carrey is is hilarious in them. There are some of my favorite movies, but if you had to deal with Ace Ventura coming into your office and speaking out his ass, then I don't think you could deal with that on a day-to-day basis. I feel like at some point that would just start to rub you. Like, like immediately. It, it would yeah. immediately start, yeah. Yeah. 
Lahu Sahur. Yeah, okay, all right, douchebag. Let's get out. Of, get, get the fuck out of my face. Flat tire. Okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like Ace Ventura would be would be that guy. And and to a much lesser extent, Harry Potter or Harry Hermione Granger. Harry Potter is one of those protagonists that is just he just is an idiot. It's remarkable. Like he's likable in his book, but the way he goes about things, it just makes no sense. And Hermione Granger is an insufferable know-it-all. And they make that quite clear in the book and it takes a troll attack to make the guys in that group like her. So, I don't know if I would deal with the troll to like Hermione Granger in a day-to-day basis because we all know that insufferable know-it-all and nobody really likes them. Speaking of, Johnny. Thank you. I appreciate that. Much lesser known person. So, the first one I had, there are three. We'll discuss whether or not you want me to tell you the third one. Uh, the, The first one is Batman. I cannot imagine being around a dude who is so intense that he lives a double life fighting crime in addition to being a billionaire. And just like, like you can't go to dinner with that guy. He's, he's going to go buy a restaurant just for his cover and then do push-ups inside because he's got to get in his 1,200 daily push-ups to get ready to fight the Joker or whatever. You're never going to get a hold of him in the first place because he's busy as hell with two all-consuming passions. Plus, he's probably in Singapore getting a guy out of a high-rise. Like, you just, it's, he just doesn't, there's, there's, there's not going to be much time with him. Second is Rorschach from The Watchmen. Of course Rorschach would be terrible to hang out with. What are you talking yeah. about? Yeah, he would absolutely be terrible. He's he's just, he would be like Debbie Downer on steroids the entire time. Just, he's always, he's going to talk to you about why that guy was killing dogs. And you're like, I, I just want to eat my pho, guy. Can we just, can we just do that? Can you, can you please <laughs> not slurp your pho through that mask? Um, that'd be great. So th- those are them. What about, what's the third? I want to hear the third. The, the third one, and I'm going to give you a moment to decide whether or not you want to cut this. Three, two, one. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's getting cut. Okay. Uh, oh, but just, let's, just, let's, we'll end the show. Let's just, listen to the show, Tim. All right. Well, um, on that note, uh, thank you for pretending we were football for the past hour. I have been your host, Will Bazer. You guys can find me on Twitter at W-I-L-L-B-A-I-Z-E-R. Johnny, uh, I mean, dude. <sighs> you can find me on Substack, uh, bitterwhiteguy.substack.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at bitterwhiteguy. Uh, I also occasionally get into arguments on Reddit, so I'm also there. And, yeah, And Patreon. I'm I'm on Patreon because I, go, I am. Go I am pay a this guy some money. Yeah, pay 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 for my silence. And Tim, where can we find you, bud? Uh, on Twitter at Inside Texas Hoop, no S, and on InsideTexas.com. Awesome community, come hang out with us. Love to have you. Cool, cool. Uh, you guys can find other shows like this one on the network you're listening to right now. It's the Horsecast channel. Other than that. Thank y'all for listening. We will see y'all next week.
Hook him. Hook him. It was freezing cold. Freezing cold. Uh here and it was one of those times where like I decided I need to take Murphy for a walk and um usually we go for like three walks a day uh, first thing in the morning and then I'll go to my work and be at work all day and then I'll come home and then he'll go for my run with me and then um uh, and then we'll end up going for a, a walk in the evening time but it was absolutely bitter but it was one of those it was one of those colds where it's like so cold that your private parts like all of a sudden get really really cold and like you don't realize you're like oh my my, you know what, uh, is incredibly cold and sort of like, is that thing dead? Uh, it's so cold it might be dead. Um, but I don't know if you ever, like, you know, like when you, like, sit on your feet or something and after a while, like, your feet, like, go to sleep or something? Uh, if you've never had that in a private part, that's weird. I'll say that much right now. It's a very strange feeling when you get that in a private part because it's just, it's really, it just, it's, it's not what you want. It's absolutely not what you want. But it was so cold that that was kind of where we were at. Um, also, uh, you know, I tried to wear, a, you know, it's one of those things where like, you know, with the social distancing, when you're walking your dog, it's, you know, really social distancing, well, you are, but, but you're also kind of figuring out like, okay, well, maybe I'm going to wear the mask, but then when you wear the mask, like, like the, the steam and like the moisture would come. And then all of a sudden I get like frosty stuff on my facial hair and like, I had like, like ice stuff on my, on my eyelashes and everything because it's so kind of nasty. And so, like, would you wear it or not? But if you don't wear it, it's, you know, negative 25 degrees. It's windchill. Or you do. I don't know. It was very, it was just really cold.